First Corinthians chapter 1, and we're in the middle of this section on the contrast between the wisdom of man and the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen the response to the gospel in verse 18, the response of the unsaved and the response of the saved there. Foolishness, but to those who are saved, it's the power of God. We saw the repudiation Sorry, the repugnance of worldly wisdom to God in verse 19 is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And we, we, we're looking at that right through the book of Revelation and God's destruction, destruction of this world and all the things of it. <clears throat> and then we noticed in verse 21 the repudiation of worldly wisdom. And the three questions there, where, where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? And uh, where is the wise? All these questions, three questions asked there of these three different groups of people. Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And you go to Romans 1 and see there how he has exactly done that. And we look, we volunteer, volatile, volatile, Voltaire, that's his name. I'm thinking of Volts. There last week we quoted him, the philosopher. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless as we look on following there. Thank you, Lord, for the word. Thank you that we can open it and be wise as we receive the gospel. And, Lord, we can be wiser, as the Proverbs say, than our teachers. They can have a lot of knowledge, but knowledge puffeth up. But the wisdom of God is far better. It readies us for eternity for your eternity. And Lord, I pray that each one here tonight would know you and have your wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And Lord, let us fear you, obey your gospel that you present to us, repent of our sins, and obey the truth of the word. We pray and ask your blessing and guidance now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> and we concluded last week with the question what happens when man rejects God's wisdom in the gospel and follows his own wisdom well it's there in the book of Romans chapter 1 in verse 21 because when they knew God and th this world is known God it was common that everybody just recognized there was a God basically for hundreds of years there was no argument about that and since evolution has come and been something indoctrinated into the young people's lives they deny it now and who, who's God <laughs> when they knew God they glorified him not as God that's what has happened it's happened in Israel it's happened in uh, the modern world neither were thankful they don't thank God for what all he has provided and does provide every day for them but became vain and uh, science without God is vain. Uh, knowledge without God is just vain. Uh, 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 an educated heathen is a very dangerous individual because they go against God <laughs> and vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they've become fools. As it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
and they've changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and four-footed beast and creeping things. And Paul really did a, a wonderful job under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to bring the whole world in chapters 1, 2 and 3 of Romans guilty before a holy God. He just masterly done that. <laughs> wonderful mind that God used to bring the world guilty and show all of us all have sinned he concluded and come short of the glory of God now we we go on from the repudiation of worldly wisdom in this is back in the in first Corinthians chapter 1 and verse the first part of 21 to the second part of that <clears throat> for after that in the wisdom of God in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom, by worldly wisdom, knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The, re the result of the preaching of Christ, a foolishness of preaching, doesn't mean that the act of preaching is foolish, but rather the content of the message to the unsaved is foolish. <clears throat> and we've all heard of the man walking down the street with a placard over the over his body and on the front it had what? On the front it had the end of the world. No. Prepare to meet thy God or something like <clears throat> I'm a fool for Christ and the gospel message. And on the back of it what did it have? People turn around and of course you look at some fool like that, don't you? <laughs> what is he doing? Everyone laughing at him? Whose who's fool are you? Whose fool are you? Makes you think, doesn't it? <laughs> Hopefully it does. But yeah, <clears throat> there's things that people put on your, their cars and, and you get a honk or a loud... <laughs> did, you, did you, Brian? Okay. I know that you had them on your car, on your tr truck thing. Yeah, you did. Mm -hmm. Got some remarks, good remarks. Good. No aggression. No aggression. Okay, there you go. I see the um, the Johnstons had them on their Tarago, I think it was, and there about the, the gospel message was on their on their car. But <clears throat> yeah, people make comments, and uh, sometimes I get aggravated, as we found out when we put tracks out about the gospel. But whose fool are you if you don't believe the gospel message? Paul said, I'm a fool for Christ. As people would look at him and say, you're a fool. You've given up that position that you could have had. What position, what position could have Paul eventually attained to if he'd stayed where he was in the business he was in? He could have been? He could have been in the he, and he probably could have been right at the top. I reckon with his education, with his lineage, with his background, he could have climbed to the top of the ladder. With his, with his zeal, he certainly had that. It's in the New Testament. His tribe, everything, he could have been there. But he gave all that up. Like Moses, he, he gave it up. He saw the future. I, when Troy was talking about Moses, I was... I thought, oh, I'll turn to Hebrews 11. He's surely going to go there, but he didn't go there. <laughs> it wasn't in the lesson this morning there. He, he forsook all this. He saw the future. <laughs> he looked at the future. Paul did. 
when he was saved that day and gave those things up because he could see past this life, past the promotions, past the prestige and the popularity of having things down here into the future through the gospel that he believed. And he suffered the loss of all things that he might attain to the excellency of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's turn to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, <clears throat> chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. And let's see what happened when the Corinthians heard the gospel, the result of preaching Christ. And we know, we've said it often, that when Paul went there, he didn't stay there long. You can read the account in the book of Acts. It's good when you read a new, like a, a new Testament epistle. Go back to the book of Acts and read the account of how the church started and the turmoil or the blessing, whatever happened at it. And you'll find that in Acts usually. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. And uh, so it was Paul personally that, that took the message there with his co-workers. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction and with joy of the Holy Ghost. So that there was problems when this church started. When these people believed, they suffered it. And they copped ridicule and persecution but with, with, with joy. So that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. So they, they become popular, but not for the, you know, it was a, a reason that maybe you wouldn't like to become popular for, because they were suffering. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. You know, their testimony of faith, their belief in the gospel so changed them that everybody around the place was speaking about these people. For they themselves show us, people had heard about the Thessalonians, show us what manner of entering in we had to you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living God. This is a testimony. This is a change of life, a change of heart, and a change of occupation even. If they needed, you know, many Christians are trying, how close can I get to the world before I'm called a worldling? Well, these people so change that they were right away from the worldly habits and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus Christ. So their anticipation, once they got saved, was to be more like the Lord Jesus. And they had a great testimony. It is in the death of Christ that God has revealed the foolishness of man's wisdom and the weakness of man's power. God is all-powerful. God can change lives, can he not? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13 and 14, we read, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you. He's again speaking to the Thessalonians there, Brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit. And belief of the truth, unto which he called you by the by our gospel, to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the gospel changed these people; it had a definite effect upon their life. Has it changed you? Has it changed me? 
Is there a difference since you heard the gospel and believed the truth? And so the result of preaching Christ, as Paul mentioned there, makes a difference in verse, the last part of verse 21. The foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And then we see in verse 22 and 23 the remedy to the signs and, and, the, and the wisdom. The signs to the Greeks and the wisdom to the uh, the signs to the Jews and the wisdom thing to the Greeks. The remedy to signs and wisdom. Preaching Christ. <laughs> what do the Jews seek? They seek a sign. They seek a sign. What a lot of Gentiles seeking today. <laughs> Same thing. They're seeking a sign too. What do people say when you talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Show me and I will believe. That's what they're saying, aren't they? They're like the Jews. They stumble at the cross. I don't want to hear that. I want to show me. This was the attitude of the Jews because their emphasis was on miraculous signs. As you go back in the Old Testament... The cross appeared to them to be weakness. Jewish history is filled with miraculous events. As you go back and read the Old Testament, there was miraculous events, right from Exodus, out of Egypt, Elijah, Elijah, and all those great men of God. And when Jesus was ministering on earth, what did they repeatedly, the Jewish people repeatedly ask him to do? Show us a, give us a sign, give us a sign. Let's turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. I've got a marker there, but it's in the wrong book altogether. Matthew 12 and verse 38. <coughs> show us a sign. And uh, see, see what the Lord said. I'll show you a sign. <laughs> verse 38 to 41. He said, the certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered, well, well by the way, had he shown them anything? Yes. Of course he had shown them signs. What had he shown them? Miracles, miracles and miracles and miracles. <laughs> what was the first miracle that he did? Water into wine, Water into wine at the marriage there. And he, but he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of prophet, the prophet Jonah. And so they were scratching their heads. We would probably be scratching our heads too. <laughs> what does all that mean? For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the, in the whale's belly... <laughs> So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And they were still scratching their heads. And so would have we. <laughs> because we wouldn't have known what he was talking about. Because he was still alive. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation. Shall condemn it because they repented of the preaching of Jonah. Behold a greater than Jonah is here. But after that sign was given. And after it was fulfilled that Jesus died and was three days and three nights. What even even the apostles didn't believe it, did they? They were running scared. 
And they didn't believe the women when they said he's, he's been raised, that they'd been to the tomb. Then they got the... Oh, we remember. He said these things. But remember what the Pharisees and the religious leaders said. This deceiver said that in three days he would rise from the dead. So let's set a guard that in case his disciples come and steal him away and then say he rose again. And the disciples didn't, they didn't get it. But this deceiver said... <laughs> Reigning soldiers, yeah. Soldiers. Oh, reigning soldiers. Yeah. <laughs> That's, either will do. <laughs> yeah, there was Romans. Surely this was the Son of God, one of them said, but that was after the things happened at the cross. <clears throat> yes, I will give you a sign. And chapter 16 and verses 1 to 4 of the book of Matthew said it as well. The Pharisees with the Sadducees came, tempting him, decided that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them, When it is evening, you say, It shall be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be foul weather. And uh, are you hypocrites? You can discern the face of the sky. You cannot discern the signs of the times. I think that's a good one for today. Some people around to get onto you when you preach prophecy. But anyway, you can. these guys can discern when it's going to rain tomorrow. Did you see the cobwebs floating past today? It's going to rain in three days. <laughs> I'm a prophet. No, it's just, that's what happens. And if it's red sunset at night, it's a sailor's delight. Red sunset, sunrise in the morning, it's a sailor's morning or whatever, shepherd's morning. <clears throat> but the, that's just what the Lord was saying. And a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And what did he say again? The sign of the prophet Jonah. Yep, he, he went back to that again. The Jewish nation did not understand their own sacred scriptures. They looked for a Messiah who would come like a mighty conqueror and defeat all the enemies. He'd then set up his kingdom and return the glory to Israel. <laughs> Even the question of the apostles after the death, burial and resurrection in Acts 1-6 showed that, as we say it often, they asked him saying, Lord, wilt thou again? Restore again the kingdom of Israel. Their strong hope blinded their eyes to what was going on. <laughs> At the same time, their scribes noticed in the Old Testament, the Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, and what won't they read today <laughs> over there, that very passage, particularly Isaiah 53, it pointed to a different kind of Messiah that they didn't want to hear about. They couldn't reconcile these differences. You, you notice there in First Peter, First Peter chapter one, verse nine, they couldn't reconcile. How do these fit together? A suffering saviour and a glorious saviour. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them did signify when he testified aforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. How do these things fit together? One day, one day, praise God, the, they will understand, they will comprehend, they will get it. <laughs> they will get it. Just like the two on the road to Emmaus, that Brother McConnell sp spoke on there some many months ago <laughs> about that, and he, he pointed out that things there, they're... they're 
I like where it says in verse 27 and 31, and their eyes were opened. And they, and, and, and as you get it into context, oh, it's Jesus I'm talking. This is the one who we were talking about, and now we're talking, we're actually talking to him. He has, they were so blinded to the fact that he's in the grave, he's dead, it's gone, it's all finished, but they were actually talking to him. You see, it. we, we can get that way. We can have, a, as it were, a, a veil over our eyes, so blocked. And they were. But their eyes were opened in more ways than one, really, because he, he on that road, had started in, in Moses and all the scriptures of the Old Testament, and he talked about himself. Their eyes were opened, not only to who he was, at that he, this was Jesus, but to the things concerning himself. Isn't it good when our eyes are opened through the gospel of Christ to the things concerning himself? And we get wised up. Wise up, Christians. Wise up to who the Lord is. <clears throat> the weakness of Christ is far better than the wisdom of man. Let's go back there to Corinthians. You not God, the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The Jews require a sign. Well, the poor old Greeks seek after wisdom. They seek after wisdom. <clears throat> they laugh at the cross. The Jews seek a sign. The Greeks laugh. This was a response of the Greeks. And uh, today, as we say, even Gentiles seek a sign. Show me and I'll believe. And others just mock and laugh. As they did then, they do now. I think it's foolishness to think that someone would die for me because I'm okay. <laughs> the Greeks emphasized wisdom and knowledge. And we still study the profound writings of the Greek philosophers and philosophy. They saw no wisdom in the cross for they looked at the cross from the human point of view and not from God's point of view in the provision it provided for us for salvation. Now, it was, as we go back there to Corinthians in verse 23, we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews. What is it to the Jews? A stumbling block. A stumbling block. In Romans, oh no, in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. If you'd like to turn there in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. It reads there, Wherefore also it's contained in, in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a cornerstone, elect precious, he that believeth in him shall not be confounded. Uh, where is it? The stone, the builders, yes. Verse 7, But unto them who are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, a stone of, verse 8, a stone of stumbling, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offence, even to them that stumble at the word. Stumbling stone, a stumbling stone. It was Christ to the Jews. He was a stumbling stone. And there in Romans chapter 9 and verse 32, it says the same thing. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, that is the Jews, but as it were by the works of the law, they stumbled at the stumbling stone. It is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offence. They stumbled at Christ. They just look for the glory and not the cross, the crown and not the cross. They stumbled at the stumbling. They were, it was an offence to them. And whosoever believeth in him shall not be confounded. Let's fall on the Lord and be broken. 
Let him not fall on you and grind him, grind you to powder. And one more in reference to this, it's in Second Corinthians chapter three. Second Corinthians chapter three, a warning to us all from what the Jew, <coughs> what the Jews did. Chapter three and what happened to them. Second Corinthians three and verse six. And it's there talk, here talking about <coughs> the law and the ministration of the law compared with the ministration of the grace of the Lord through the gospel. In verse 6, who has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. If the ministration of the letter of death written and engraved in stones was glorious. That was one of those quiz questions about Moses and the law. One of those joker things <laughs> uh, about Moses breaking the law. But, but if the ministration of death was written and engraved in stones, was glorious. Was it a glorious thing? Were you, were you there? No. But can you go there in the scriptures at Mount Sinai? What happened? When Moses went up to the mountain, what happened to the mountain? It shook. What happened to the Jews around the mountain? They all backed off. It was all together in a smoke. And Moses, they thought, he's had it. He's been up there too long. He must be dead. He can't survive it up there. And then they started making a golden cuff. Here was the power of God being manifest before them and they started making an idol. I can't get people like that. And, but it was a glorious thing. God wrote the law miraculously to them. It was a glorious thing. And when Moses came down from the mountain, uh, what did he look like? <laughs> he just glowed. Illuminous. He was like with the glory of the Lord. And the glory would fade. So a veil was put over him so they didn't see the fading glory. Um, <clears throat> they could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of the countenance of his countenance which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? And it's comparing this, the old, to the new. For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, giving of the law, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. This is far better. The New Testament and the way and the method and the means by which the gospel goes out through the foolishness of preaching is more glorious exceeds in glory for even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect in comparison by reason of the glory that excelleth for if that which was done away was glorious much more that which was remaineth is glorious seeing then that we have such hope we use great plainness of speech said paul and not as moses who put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was abolished, the glory faded. But their minds were blinded, for until this day there remaineth the same veil, and we've said it before, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, Paul said, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. And what can we say with Paul? Is it still so? Yep. In the majority of cases, it's still so. 
And if there's any Jews listening in, it's still so. You're blinded still today. The veil is on their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. What a day it'll be. <laughs> what a day. I'm, I'd like to be here, but we won't. We won't be here. When the Jews as a nation turn to the Lord. I don't know. <laughs> we might hear, they're turning, they're turning, they're getting saved. <laughs> pop, 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 pop into the kingdom they come. <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> the Lord will, but we, we will know that it'll be happening because the Bible has said, and we already know now it's going to happen after we're gone. And, and it all has to happen in three and a half, first three and a half years, according to my Bible, that the 144,000 and many more of them, and they bring many, 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 many. Millions come into the, in, in, into the Lord through faith in the Lord, through their testimony. But what a glorious thing when the veil is taken away. And what a, what a blessed thing to, for the world when the veil is taken off the Jews' eyes and their heart and they're turned back. I don't know... That, that, that fella that's on the video that you got, Troy, is he a Jew? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Have, have, have you not been in adult Sunday school class? Have <laughs> you seen him? <laughs> and his I just got some new glasses. Maybe I should go back and get some new ones. <laughs> have you seen his glasses? Yeah, that's the way to go. <laughs> I couldn't. Could, could anyone wear those sort of glasses as a bloke? Anyway, that's him. <laughs> He right, right, blue glasses, and he's he's so excited. He's like this <laughs> when he's reading. I'd like him to read the King James. Amen. Yeah, amen. There, I, I just oh, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I haven't looked. Um, but anyway, he he gets excited about what he's saying and what he's preaching, and we ought to be that way, shouldn't we? <laughs> and and Jews are that way. They're ex it's um, <clears throat> who was telling me the other day, Peter. Oh, he's not here tonight. He said there was two Italian friends he had, and they were in a factory working, and um, <clears throat> and they were having a discussion. They were just talking, <laughs> poking each other, and 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 one of Peter's friends he says, "Are they having a fight?" He said, "No, they're just talking," <laughs> and that that's Middle Eastern. People, they, they, they do that. They're very expressive. But Jewish people, when they're discussing spiritual matters, they get excited about it. We Australians are so, you know, this should be right, don't get excited, cool it. <laughs> but we are that way and can be that way, maybe to our detriment. But, you know, things are important. The glory of the Lord, the things of God are eternal. And they are something to become excited about. And when these, when these Jews get saved, when the veil is taken... And this is the things that I've talked to Andrew before he went. You know, there's a veil on their face. They're judicially blinded, we say. But now the Lord is that spirit where the spirit of the Lord, Lord is their liberty. There may be some get saved now. 
Jews can get saved. (laughs) But we all with an open face behold as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory. We are changed. And back in Corinthians back in Corinthians where we first Corinthians chapter one and verse twenty four we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block unto the Greeks foolishness but unto them who are saved or who are called by Jews and Greeks. Christ is the power and of of God and the wisdom of God, the reliability of Christ he reconciles us to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. He redeems us by the power of the blood, First Peter 1.18. He regenerates us. He restores us to fellowship with himself. He renews us, Colossians 3.10. He leads us to repentance, Romans 2.4. And he offers remission of sins through the blood of Christ, Hebrews 9.22. And he resurrects us to newness of life. Christ is the power and wisdom of God to salvation. The reliability of the Christ of the cross. He's the power and he's the wisdom of God. And verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than than man <clears throat> is God in any way foolish is that what that verse say, is saying no. no no he's not but for us to comprehend a little thing the foolishness of God is wiser than men you get the smartest man on earth let's say well intellectually smart say Einstein <laughs> and what did he say he knows less than one little bit of 1% of all that could be known. That's what he come to admit, even though he was so smart. And what about all the things outside of his knowledge? (laughs) Modern infidels follow scholarly opinion instead of the word of God. And if we want to go down that path, that's the path that Christendom has taken scholarly approach now we need to be scholarly in our approach to study the word of God and we need to be diligent we know study to show yourself approved workmen that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth but if else if we used human wisdom to interpret a scripture watch out we can go down this path and it's a path of foolishness let the spirit guide us as we interpret the word and the weakness of God is stronger than men I've written down here Atomic weapons are but like those little little things you used to have as firecrackers all tied together. Those little, I don't know what they were called. Those little tom, no tom thumbs. Little one. Anyway, they're nothing. <laughs> at the Armageddon, when they were all shooting their missiles at the Lord Jesus, when He returns, I'm sure they will try surface-to-air missiles. And the Lord's coming down with us following him. He kabang, kabang, kabang. And he just speaks them out of existence. He is stronger than men. All the power of man is not. He made the elements that they made those things from. 
And you think he can't put them out of existence? Huh. One commented on this last verse, verse 20, oh, the verse we're looking at, last verse tonight, 25. This explains why people can study the marvelous and the marvels and mysteries of the universe, the incredible complexity of the human body, for, for instance, and explain it in terms of evolution. When everything about the physical universe from the smartest, the smartest, the smallest atom to the greatest galaxy declares the existence of an omniscient mind and therefore of an, of an, um, of an omniscient and omnipotent person, when the astronomers thought their way back to the beginning of time, they boldly postulated the Big Bang and confidently asserted that the universe was like what was it like at the moment and a second or so after. But Einstein and the other scholars shrank from going back one step beyond their Big Bang to the split second before the beginning. That would have brought them face to face with God. The last thing they wanted to do was prove the theologians to have been right after all. They don't want to talk about that. What was before the Big Bang? Where did the energy come from? <laughs> they don't want to go back there. And it goes on, if this is so in terms of science and philosophy, it is even more so in terms of man's religion. Man says do, God says done. Man says toil, God says trust. Man says behave, God says believe. Man says achieve, God says accept. Cain, who founded the world's first false religion, said, I'll bring the fruits of my own good works. His brother Abel said, I'll sacrifice a lamb without blemish. Cain's religion emphasised beauty, Abel's faith emphasised blood. Cain only compounded the curse, Abel simply claimed the cross. Cain's religion produced a murderer, Abel's faith produced a martyr. Cain's religion looks fine to man and Abel's faith seems folly to man. Cain's religion illustrates man's thoughts and man's ways. Abel's offering illustrates God's thoughts and God's ways. It is neither foolish nor weak. He only seems so. It, he only seems so to self-inflated, ego-centered, Christ-rejecting men. And I think it's very much so. And so there we see, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of of God is stronger than men. The gospel is the way to eternal life. By faith we believe it and accept it. Have you? Have we? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the good old gospel that Christ died, was buried, and rose again. His precious blood was shed to atone for my sin, our sin, for all people's sin, if they but believe. Simple, yet profound and eternal in its effect. Bless people with your salvation tonight as your spirit convicts and changes them. Thank you for it. Guide us this week on your way and in your will for our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.